Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to long for your word even now. Lord, we pray that we would want to look at your word so that our lives are preserved with the righteousness that you alone grant. Oh, Lord, as we look there and we see our sin, Lord, we pray that we would cling all the more to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be edified and helped by your word this morning as we look at it together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is our third time that we'll be looking at the subject of Amos, the book of Amos together. And so we've looked at Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we've come now to Amos chapter 3. And if you recall, Amos is a prophet who was speaking during the time when the kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms. You've got the southern kingdom in the south, the kingdom of Judah, and you've got the kingdom of Israel, uh, the rest of the tribes of Israel in the north. And Amos has been proclaiming judgment from God against, firstly, not the Israelites, but against the pagan nations. And we saw that in chapter 1, that again and again the Lord says, I will send fire against this nation. I will send fire against that nation. And then last week we saw that Amos doesn't just proclaim judgment against the foreign nations, but he also proclaims judgment against the people of God. And we saw that he started with the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, and then he moved on to speak against the kingdom of Israel. And so this morning we continue to hear his prophecy against the people of Israel. And Amos wants to illustrate God's judgment here with a couple of different illustrations that are in chapter 3 for us. And he wants to remind us that actions have causes. When something happens, it is because there's been a cause that has resulted in that action. And he gives a few examples from common life as to how we see this principle at work. And they're given to us in verses 3 through to verse 6. The first one there is in verse 3. It says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? When you see two people walking on the street, you assume that there's been a prior cause that has led them to walk together, that they have agreed to do so. If you go up next to someone that's walking along the street and start walking exactly next to them for some period of time. You walk right next to them, particularly when there's lots of space on the footpath. It's liable that that person will punch you eventually if they're not a particularly friendly person. If you're walking right next to someone, there's usually some cause for that to happen. You're speaking to them, or at least you know that person well enough and you've agreed that you are going to walk together on the road. The next example, verse 4. Does a lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey? A lion roars when he has the prey. If a lion roars while he's hiding from the prey, what's the prey likely to do? Run away. When he's in his den, as it says in verse 4, then he growls as well. Does he growl in his den when he has caught nothing? No, he growls when he's got the prey. Otherwise, the prey would be scared away from his den. And so here we see an action, the lion roaring, and we see that there's a cause, that he has the prey that he has been seeking. Verse 5 gives us another example. Third example, does a bird fall into a trap on the ground where no snare has been set? Does a trap spring up from the earth when there is nothing to catch? If a trap is released, it's because there's a cause. Unless it's a faulty trap, of course. It's released because something has triggered the trap. The bird falls because the trap has gone up to it. Uh, the bird falls down and the trap springs up and snares that bird. 
When the trap springs, there is a cause. And then the next one, the fourth example given for us is in verse 6. When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? If a trumpet sounds in a city, the people tremble because an alarm has been given. It is not as though an alarm is given when there is no cause. Yes, we have fire drills today and there's alarms at different points in our lives that have no cause, but generally speaking, in particular situations, they don't sound the alarm unless there really is a cause. For example, if you go to the airport and they start talking about bombs in very loud voices and people will respond quite rapidly. Apparently you can get a fine if you say to the people at um, the airport that you've got a bomb and you're just joking. They take such hoaxes very, very seriously. If a trumpet sounds in the city a warning call that the enemy is coming, there is a cause to that trumpet sound. Now what is Amos doing here? He's showing again and again from life that when an action occurs, there's been a cause for it. If people are walking together... They've agreed to do so. If a lion roars, it's because it's got prey. A mum doesn't roar in the home unless the child is present. She is a waste of her breath to roar at a child if the child isn't actually there. And it's the same with the lion. If a bird falls into a trap, it's because the trap, if a trap springs up, it's because a bird is there. If a speed camera goes off, what is the cause? Well, you've been speeding. And people trembling in a city demonstrate a cause when the trumpet sounds. What is Amos trying to do? Well, it's given to us in verse 6. After all those examples, what does he say? Verse 6, when disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? So the Israelites are very much focused on the disaster that is being proclaimed. And then the question is then, why would disaster come to our city? It's because the Lord has caused it. Everything else in life we recognize. If something happens, there is a cause. And it's the same when disaster comes to a city. When disaster comes to someone's life, why has it happened? Because the Lord has called it, caused it. And so we recognize this again and again is proclaimed throughout the scriptures. Scientific rationalism tries to exclude God from the disaster that we may experience in this world. Tries to say that God does not exist at all, so he's not the cause of anything. There must be another explanation if disaster comes to a city. Or some people who claim to believe that there is a God minimise God's involvement in this world. They may treat him as a God who is like a watchmaker. He made the world, wound it all up, set it going, and no longer acts in this world. Yes, he may have been the first cause But after that, everything is open to subjection from other causes in this world. But the Bible says, no, if disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? And some other people might say, oh, yes, God still interacts in this world. It's not like he's gone away and left the clock, uh, the watch ticking, the world ticking over. No, he still acts, but he's granted a lot of free will to humanity. And so there's a lot of things that go on in this world And it's really caused by sinful humans. And God is up in heaven wringing his divine hands about what's going on. And he can't be involved in this world in those areas because he's granted free will to the people who are creating disaster in a city. That's not the truth of the scriptures. The scriptures proclaim again and again that when disaster comes to a city, 
Has not the Lord caused it? God acts in this world. And when disaster comes to our lives, there is a cause. And that cause is God. But what has caused God to move and bring disaster into people's lives? Well, we can see that it is sin. Again and again in the book of Amos, it's sin of the sin of the Israelites has caused God to cause disaster within the Israelite community. And we see that in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, Amos chapter 3, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your sins. And then it goes on to speak about the different metaphors uh, that it's using, the illustrations for cause and effect. It is because of their sin that God then brings disaster to the Israelites. But is God still bringing disaster upon people today? Is he still causing the disaster that we see in this life? Is God still roaring at humanity as Amos likes to bring out again and again that God is like this lion? He opens it with it in chapter 1, roaring. And here we see the illustration of an, uh, a lion uh, with its prey. And then in verse 8 it says, The lion has roared, who will not fear? God is pictured as this lion who roars at humanity. Does God still roar at humanity today? Maybe he caused the disaster in the time of Israel, but does he still cause disaster today? Does he still roar? The answer is yes. God is still roaring at humanity today because humanity is still sinning against the almighty God. What is the roar that we hear of God today? The disaster that he brings? Well, the great disaster that he brings to humanity is death. Again and again, death comes up as the great roar of God. The wages of sin is death. And it starts from a young age, from conception. As soon as you are conceived, you're in the process of dying. Even as life in the womb continues to grow, it's in the process of death. It is going to eventually die one day. And so the roar of God begins at conception. The embryo has original sin and has guilt upon it, and so will die. And many embryos even die in the womb. But those that go on to live, they hear the roar of God. Even my children, they're very young, but they're already talking to me about death and uh, speaking about what is to come after death and when will they die and when will I die as their parent. The roar has begun, even at a young age. And that roar of God's disaster that he brings into our life just gets louder As we get older, we hear the roar of death in every earthquake, every typhoon, every flood, every fire, every terror attack. It's the roar of God, the disaster that he is bringing because of our sin. Every car accident, the roar of death is there from God. Every illness that we experience brings the roar of God. For his prey. Every fever you have, every heart palpitation, your heart skips a beep and you think a beat and you think, what's going on with it? It's the roar of God against the sin of humanity. Every cancer diagnosis, every dwindling memory as you start to feel that your mind isn't what it once was, and you may be moving closer and closer to the grave. The roar of death is still happening here today the roar of God because of sin. But can't humanity save themselves 
from God's disaster, from the roar that is coming from God? Well, yes, they can attempt to save themselves, but what do they end up saving? All they can save is what a shepherd might save from a lion. In verse 12, it talks about this. Verse 12, it says, this is what the Lord says, as a shepherd saves from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites be saved. Is that salvation? Two leg bones, piece of an ear? That's not salvation. And yes, if you try to save yourself from the roar of God, from death, a remnant is saved, a soul that quivers in hell for all eternity. There's a remnant of you. It's like a piece of an ear or two bones have been salvaged from a lion. There's something of you that is saved. But would you call it salvation? To quiver as a soul suffering in hell for all eternity? Is that salvation? Yes, there's something of you left, but it's not salvation. The roar of God is there against sinful humanity, and death is imminent. You can't put it off. And the only salvation that you can effect by your own strength is to save your soul a place in eternal damnation. Unless there's another way, is there hope for humanity, a way of salvation from the roar of God? Yes, you can escape the roar of the Lord against your sin if there is someone else upon whom the lion pounces. If there's a scapegoat, someone who the Lord turns his roar and his anger and his wrath towards in your place. And instead of the lion targeting you, he targets the scapegoat instead. And where can you find such a scapegoat? Well, it's at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who is the Lamb of God, who can satisfy the lion's roar and be devoured by the lion and take the lion's roar away from you. At the cross, Jesus deliberately walked in the way of God's wrath, in the way of that roar of the lion that God has against your sin. And he did it so that you could go free. It would be absolute foolishness to think that the Son of God came into this world died on a cross without a purpose. Remember again and again we saw there, cause and effect. If something happens, there must be a cause. Now what would cause Jesus Christ to go to the cross? What would cause the Son of God to go to the cross? Would it be simply as an example of how to bear up under unjust suffering, as the liberal theologians like to say? It was just an example at the cross for us, which he is an example for us, but is that the real reason that Jesus Christ went to the cross? That the Son of God would bear such shame and pain? It was as a scapegoat so that someone else would go free. God growled at Jesus Christ on the cross in a way that he's never growled at anyone else in the past or ever will. Why would I say that? Because Jesus Christ took the sin of many upon his shoulders. Even every single soul that suffers in hell will never experience the growl of God in the way that he growled at Jesus Christ on the cross because the sins of all his people were put upon his shoulders and instead of the growl going towards all those people, it was all bearing down upon Jesus as he hung 
on that tree so many years ago. The most wrath that was ever poured out on an individual individual was poured out on Jesus Christ. The most vicious trap to ever spring up and snatch life from man was the one that sprang up and snatched the life of Jesus Christ. The question is, was it a success? Was Jesus able to be that scapegoat that we desperately need as the lion roars at us because of our sin? Well, the answer is yes. Jesus was a success at the cross. He was able to come through the lion's roar and the devouring that the lion of God's wrath had upon him. And he didn't survive with just two leg bones or a piece of an ear, as it says there in verse 12. No, he survived with his whole humanity intact, with an eternal body, an even better body than he had previously, a body that will never die. The whole body of Jesus Christ was saved. But you say, but what about, was he a success for me? Did he save me from the lion's roar? Yes, he was saved, but what about me? And the answer is yes. If we trust in Jesus Christ, we are saved. Not two leg bones or a piece of an ear. No, we are saved and given an eternal body like Jesus Christ was granted. We have a whole person raised to life and that will live for eternity in paradise itself. Jesus Christ as a scapegoat was indeed a success. He was able to satisfy the roar of the lion. So the most powerful lion has begun to roar in this world. Who will not fear? That's what verse 8 says. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? Will you not fear this morning? Are there some people present in this room who are not afraid of the roar of the greatest lion that has ever been known? Sadly, I know there's a good possibility that there's some of you who won't fear the roar of the lion as you should. Why is that? Well, there's many different reasons, but one reason you may ignore the roar of the lion is because you have alarm fatigue. Alarm fatigue. I read a news report this week of a woman dying in hospital, which isn't an unusual occurrence, but this was unusual. Why? People investigated the cause. Nurses failed to respond to an alarm that had sounded for about 75 minutes, signalling that her heart monitor's battery needed to be replaced, state investigators found. 75 minutes, the alarm was going off, and no one responded. The news report goes on. It says, all morning long, nurses hear and respond to constant beeping, dinging and chiming. Some kind of alarm sounds at least every minute. Nurses know that a large percent of patient monitor alarms are false, triggered by movement, a poor connection, or some other factor. But they still must listen carefully to each one and react quickly in case a patient really requires immediate medical attention. Given the almost overwhelming number of alarms going off, nurses, doctors, and healthcare leaders are concerned about staff in hospitals becoming desensitised to the noise, a phenomenon called alarm fatigue. And that's a phenomenon that is potentially fatal. And in this case, it was for this woman. 75 minutes, an alarm was going off that her heart monitor needed the battery changed. And it wasn't done. Do you have alarm fatigue? So that when I speak about the lion roaring here, you do not fear. 
Maybe because you've heard so many alarms over your lifetime, you don't respond well to them anymore. From the bedside alarm clock that you start the day with, to the oven timers, to fire alarms at shopping centres, you just are over alarms. You don't care about them anymore. I see this sometimes when I'm in a shopping centre and alarm's going off, Fire alarm's going and it starts to say evacuate immediately, evacuate immediately. And everybody's still going about their shopping and no one cares. You look at the, the, the uh, shop assistants, they're still serving, they're still quite happy to be there. And the customers are looking at one another and going, oh, well, no one's reacting. And so they continue to go about their business. They have alarm fatigue. And maybe that is the case for you, that you've heard so many alarms over your lifetime that... The alarm that is roared at you now about the death that you are facing because of your sin, it falls on deaf ears. Or maybe you hear you have alarm fatigue because you've heard this alarm so many times over your lifetime that you just ignore it as you've ignored it in the past. This is quite a danger for children who grow up in a church. They hear again and again about the wrath of God against sin and they hear it so many times that they become deaf to it. They look at the world and they see that life is going on, people living, going about their business, and death hasn't come near them yet. And so they're not alarmed by the words of verse 8, the lion has roared, who will not fear? They go, yes, I won't be afraid. If that is you, then I must say to you this morning that this is one alarm you had better attend to. This is one alarm you cannot ignore. Feeding time at the zoo has begun. You have been foolish enough to fall into the lion's pit because of your sin. And there's no bars, there's no glass as they have these days at the zoo between you and the lion. No, there is nothing to save you unless someone climbs into the lion pit and takes your place instead. And thankfully, Jesus Christ has done that. He is your only possibility. There's no one else who can take your place, not your mother, your father. They've got their own sin to deal with. They need Jesus Christ themselves. It has to be Jesus Christ. You have to trust in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you will be taken eventually. The alarm that's been sounding, that's been constant through your life, You've been able to minimise and ignore it. It will get increasingly louder. The alarm of death is there. You need to respond and go to Jesus Christ, who has been lovingly sent by the Father and has willingly climbed into the lion's pit. He came into this world. The Son of God took on flesh so that you could be saved from the lion's roar. I urge you, if there's one alarm you fear... Let it be this alarm. It is the one with eternal consequences if you ignore it. If you hit the snooze button on your alarm next to your bedside, what's the worst that can happen? Your boss might be angry, you might lose your job. What's the worst that can happen if you ignore the roar of God? Eternal suffering in hell. Far worse to ignore this alarm than any other alarm you may know. But if you are a Christian, and I love that there's many of you here this morning... And you are a group of people that will never be torn to pieces. You will never be saved as simply a few leg bones or a piece of an ear. You'll never be one who quivers as a soul in hell. But I encourage you this morning, let us let the knowledge of our salvation 
impact us more and more. If you had a near-death experience with a lion, if you actually went to, let's say, Africa and met a lion there and you were saved by someone, wouldn't that impact the rest of your life? If you came very close to being devoured by a lion but someone stepped in and saved you at the last minute, wouldn't that change your life? Wouldn't every day you have a bounce in your step knowing, I shouldn't actually be here anymore? I should be dead? And that is what has happened if Jesus Christ has saved you. If you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you deserve to be in hell right now. You shouldn't be here breathing this air, sitting on those chairs. You shouldn't be here. But you are. Why? Because you've escaped a near-death experience. You've escaped the fires of hell. Doesn't that impact your life? Doesn't that give you a joy in whatever you do in this world, knowing that you shouldn't actually be here? And then doesn't it impact you in a desire to love and be devoted to the person who saved you? Imagine you're out in Africa and a lion is about to pounce on you and someone jumps in and saves you. Wouldn't you be devoted to that person? Wouldn't you want to follow them around for the rest of their life? We often see that in novels where someone saves somebody's life and the other person becomes a slave to them for the rest of their life. They say, I owe you my life, so now I will follow you around and do whatever you ask of me. Doesn't that happen in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ has saved your life. Who does your life belong to now? It belongs to Jesus. And so you should be willing to follow him around and say, whatever you want me to do, I shouldn't be here right now. Whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I will do it because my life is not my own. And wouldn't you want to tell people about it? If you went to Africa and I'd lie came at you and someone saved you, wouldn't you be willing to tell others about that? Say, do you know I deserve to die an eternal death, but someone stepped in and took my place and that person was Jesus Christ. Shouldn't you have your salvation that Jesus has wrought in your life impact your life by the joy that you have in still being here and the devotedness by which you will serve your Saviour and by the fact that you can't stop telling people about the salvation that you have experienced. The greatest danger you ever faced has been removed. Don't you want to tell people about it? And if you don't, if you don't want to tell people, if you don't want to be devoted to Jesus and do whatever he asks, if you don't want to rejoice in every moment that you have in this world because of what Christ has done, does that mean that Jesus hasn't actually saved you? Is that an indicator that the roar of the lion is still against you? Because if that has been removed, it would be natural to do those things to be delighting in this world, to be devoted to Jesus Christ, to tell people about the salvation you've you've been given. If you don't experience those things, could it be that Jesus is not your saviour and you are still needing to trust in him for the first time? Let us come to our God in prayer. Let's speak to him.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given many of us in this room ears to hear the roar that you have against our sin. And you have also caused us to tremble and flee to Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have satisfied the roar of God's wrath against our sin. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be devoted to you as our great Saviour and to delight in serving you all our days and to tell people about the marvellous salvation that we have experienced. There is no greater salvation that we know than to have been set free from the powers of hell. And so, Lord, we thank you for doing what you've done. And we pray for anyone in this room who has not experienced what it is to have Jesus Christ as Saviour. Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes to the roar of the lion. We pray that they would hear your roar against sin and that they would flee to Jesus Christ instead of being devoured for all eternity. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.